0: You're listening to the One Hope Church podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. Well, good afternoon. It's good to to be with you here on a soggy day. Thanks for coming out. I'm John Baxter. I'm one of the uh, elders here. Uh, plus a little bit more recently. We're going to talk about that in a second. But we've been studying the book of Nehemiah together, and the theme is the God who restores, which is very pertinent for us as we're, in a sense, restoring or rebuilding again the the ministry at One Hope Church. Uh, But as we move to Nehemiah chapter 5, as in the next slide says, uh, not only were they restoring the walls of the city of Jerusalem, but in this book, we see that God is also restoring the hearts of the people. And he's going to do so by using the, the leadership of Nehemiah. And that's one of the themes that we're going to be looking at. We have been looking at in this book and will continue to is, is how God uses leadership. Now, we, of course, at One Hope, are in a bit of a, of a leadership change, our Lead Pastor Justin at the end of August told us that this wasn't the, really the calling on his life to continue forward as a full-time uh, lead pastor of, of One Hope. And this past month, we've been trying to walk together. We, we've uh, created a, a place where we could listen to each other. And then last Sunday, we, we made some uh, proposals that we're going to review and look at at the end of our, our time together as we look into God's Word One of the things that we really didn't get a chance to talk about uh, last week was that the elders uh, have asked me to provide some temporary, and the key word there is temporary, uh, leadership. We don't really know what to call it, sort of staff uh, leader. And I asked my boss, who you've met, Ivan Veldhuis, and he spoke several times here, if I could cut back some of my time uh, with my work with Converge And so about a quarter of time over the next three months, I'm going to be helping to provide some leadership for our staff and the ministries at uh, One Hope. If you're interested in in what that exactly looks like, Emily, do you think if they they emailed you, you could send out a link with a a little job description and a little bio about Jan and I so you can uh, know a little bit about us? But the key here is that it really is temporary. I'm not particularly looking. <laughs> to, I didn't need anything else to add in the schedule. And hopefully by then, God will have moved us to the place where uh, our leadership path, or at least how we're going to get to a new leadership path, is clear. But we want the right sort of leadership path, don't we? And I think today's uh, text in Nehemiah 5 gives us some important clues here's what i think god is saying in this chapter and we'll go together and look through it and and see if you agree sort of i think the theme that that god wants us to understand is that god uses courageous servants to build his people now we talk about servant leadership and that's really what we're discussing here in nehemiah 5 but it's it's a courageous leadership as well as a as a serving leadership and the primary goal is to build people Now, Nehemiah was building walls, which was important at the time. And we have to build ministries, in a sense, and and pathways for discipleship. But ultimately, it's because we want to build people. The hearts of the people of Jerusalem were in disrepair. We're going to see that. And Nehemiah's leadership, God uses his leadership not just simply to restore the walls. Actually, the the restoration of hearts is far more important than the restoration of walls. If they built the walls, but their hearts still wandered far from God, what happened to them before the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the and the and the tearing down of the walls by the armies of Babylon would simply occur again. Hearts in tune with God are a far stronger protection against. All the vicissitudes of life, the storms and gales of life, than any wall, any bank account, any college degree. Hearts that are in tune with God are our ultimate protection, and God uses courageous servants to repair those hearts. Let's look at this. It's the, the the chapter starts really with a contrast. Instead of 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 courageous serving leaders. Um, the the people in in Jerusalem as the city's being restored are encountering not servant leaders but leaders who take. I'm going to read this and you can read along with me. Now the men and women and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Now there's something surprising. These are the people now that Nehemiah is leading. He's brought people back from the Persian Empire to help restore the walls of Jerusalem. But there are already uh, Jews who were living there in the city and, and in the environs around this city. And they're raising a cry against, the, in a sense, the, the nobles we're going to see and the leaders of the people. But they're Jewish. They're not raising a cry against the, the, the other nationalities, the other nations who were opposed to them, who were living around them, but actually to their fellow countrymen to the Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we've had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. So they're in a state of crisis and chaos. But the real reason is, as the next slide shows, it's because people's hearts were in disrepair. The situation is that they're facing poverty but then this poverty is compounded by exploitation of these people who have power over them these leaders in the Jewish community first of all you know they're 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 just a small outpost in in the city of judah and the countryside around it but they're surrounded by nations that basically hate them so already there's difficulty and on top of this there's there's a, a, a large tax that they have to pay to the king every year on their fields and vineyards not only that, but now Nehemiah has called them to work on the wall, so maybe only half of the normal work in their fields can be done. And, so, and there's apparently a famine that has, that has stricken the people as well. And so they, they need to buy grain, and so they're, they're selling their lands, they're selling their fields, and they're taking loans, and yet their fellow countrymen are charging them interest on those loans. And finally, there's this this awful thing of their having to sell their children, into in a sense indentured servanthood, slavery, to their fellow Jews. All of this at a time where they're when they're vulnerable, as they're saying they're powerless, they're in great need. And Nehemiah, he's not very ha- happy about this because they they misunderstand the very nature of what it means to be a leader a guide of the people they misunderstand the whole law's purpose the old testament law and what uh these these provisions were supposed to be when there was a time of need yes you could if there was famine if there was difficulty you could sell your land to your neighbor but only for seven years or at most 50 years in the year of jubilee and the land had to be returned you weren't giving up your land permanently you weren't going to become a class of landless poor it was simply a a way to bridge through through times of need yes there could be loans but they were never to be charged interest yes if things were so bad you you could indenture yourself to someone else but according to the law just for seven years and then you were to be set free so they were taking these things that, that whose purpose were good in the Old Testament. They were to be a bridge to get you through this time of difficulty. And they were using them for their own gain and enrichment. They were using them to oppress the most vulnerable. Instead of the law's purpose, which was to protect and help and get you through those times of difficulty, they were mistreating and taking advantage of the most vulnerable. Exodus itself in the law, it says, do not take advantage of the widow and the fatherless. It says, do not take advantage of the widow and the fatherless. And just two verses later, it says, if you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. Now, this isn't supposed to somehow be read off in how we're to operate modern economies, all right? There are many different things in the law. There are many different sorts of provisions which which constituted how the the people of Israel were to create this land in which God would rule and the Messiah was to come. So we're not trying to do an economics class through this, but, but what is really clear is that God's people had a responsibility for those who were vulnerable, And they were to use these things as a bridge to bring them back to health and to prosperity. And the leaders in Nehemiah's time were doing the exact opposite. Instead of of bringing them back to health, they were using them to enrich themselves. So what, what we see is there's something drastically wrong with the heart. Drastically wrong with the heart. And in a sense, we're asking as, as a leader, you have the position, you have the, you have the ability to be in, in charge of others, to have your way. The, the real question for a leader is, are you going to be the sort of person who's, who's a taker? Enrich yourself? Or are you going to be the sort of, of leader who's, who's a giver? Are you going to be an exploiter or a defender? That's the question really that Nehemiah is asking these these leaders of the Jews. And it's a question actually that he has to ask himself. And that's why I call this next uh, part of the text Nehemiah's choice. Because he was certainly in a position as the governor of this area of Judah to do whatever he wanted. Let's see how he chooses. He says in verse 6, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind. And then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you were charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. In other words, when Nehemiah arrived, he was using his resources to take those who had been enslaved, not by Jews, but the Gentiles around them, and to begin to buy them back. Only to his great surprise and shock that that the Jewish officials were enslaving them again. Somebody doesn't like my preaching, I think. (laughs) I'm just glad it's not Jan, my wife, doing that. (laughs) And so it was doubly bad. Not only were they having to buy them back from the Gentiles, but when they bought them back from the Gentiles, they're being sold to the Jews, and they have to doubly buy them back again. And I can imagine just Nehemiah was, was incredibly frustrated. In verse 9 he says, So I continued, What you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also the interest you are charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. And their response was, we will give it back, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. So in a sense, Nehemiah's choice, you can see in the next slide, is he's He's deciding that he'll be a protector, not an exploiter. But first of all, I want you to notice his courage. He assembles the leaders, the the, the rulers. These are people that his whole project is really dependent upon. He can't rebuild the wall. He can't restore Jerusalem himself. It'd be easier just to go along with what the powerful are doing. But he calls them, and, and to their face, he takes them to task. So leaders have to have courage. Even servant leaders, they're not just being pushed around by whatever happens. They have to have moral courage to stand for what God wants. So to begin with, we want leaders who are able to confront what is wrong. But I also want you to notice here that there's a sense of transparency. Did you see, Nehemiah says that, that, that I and, and those with me, we've been loaning money. Now, perhaps he hadn't been charging any interest, but I think the text and some commentators I've looked at tend to think that he's realizing that, man, this is something we shouldn't do. Maybe that's not right, but but I think it's a possibility that he's transparent to say, guys, I I make mistakes as well. I've made mistakes, and, and I'm committing myself that, he says, let us not do this anymore. And so there's a sense of transparency, there's a sense of ownership. He examines his, his own practices, his own heart, and sees where God wants it to change. Now, we're not gonna, we haven't read the verses that follow, but there's also a sense of accountability. When the people say, we're going to do this, Nehemiah requires that they go to the priest and they take a solemn oath. Now, maybe today oaths don't seem to mean as much, but back then they did. That was a dangerous thing to take an oath, to swear before God, to swear to these, these supernatural supernatural power that you would do something and not do it. They took it very seriously. Blessings, curses, oaths in that context were serious. So there's a sense of accountability. You're not just saying you're going to do it, but he created systems in which he, he believed would, would enable, would help, would keep people honest in doing it. I think that's part of the job of a, of a of a leader who serves as well. It's not just words. But there also there's action and systems to help people grow and to be accountable. And the people responded. But they respond I think to good leadership, this courageous serving leadership, protecting leadership. You know, I I, I grew up in the in the '60s, and and one of our heroes, of course, was was John Wayne, the cowboy. Now, my daughter tells me he's now problematic a bit. I think because of some of the way he treats people, particularly ladies, right? But one of the things I liked about John Wayne is that there was a real moral clarity, and all of his movies that I can remember, maybe there's there's an exception, he's always protecting the weak, right? The, the, the bad people have taken over the town, and John Wayne rides in. And a great uh, danger to himself, he, he's a protector. He's a defender. And that was pretty much the model that, that we were presented over and over and over again in television shows and movies, strong dads, guys like John Wayne. And we had, a, a, I think, a very clear sense that leaders were to be protectors. They weren't to be exploiters. All the Jimmy Stewart films were that way. I'm not sure that we live in in, in such a time of clarity about leadership now. I was on the airplane um, uh, a few uh, months ago, and I saw my first John Wick film. Have you ever seen John Wick? Well, John Wick, I discovered, is not John Wayne. (laughs) I, I wasn't really that surprised. He's... He's sort of the protagonist in the story. I think he's supposed to be sort of the good guy, although apparently he has no trouble killing lots of people because of a dog. And that seems to be the, 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 the flow of the plot. But what struck me is that what a mixed message for our generation. What a mixed message for our sons and daughters of, of what those in authority or power, those who should be emulated, look like we apparently live in a time in which it's not very clear that it's wise to be a protector, a defender, a courageous person who cares for the vulnerable, that that investment is worth making. Uh, it seems to me that maybe there's, there's some cloudiness, and, and that's part, I think, of, a, of, of good leadership, especially in a church body, that we help our young people, our sons, our daughters, to be defenders and protectors, to be givers and not not takers, to have that moral courage. And so we see this now in in Nehemiah's example. In the next slide, he apparently has very little to do with John Wick. He's a he's a, he's a leader who gives. We, we contrasted the beginning with the leaders who take, and Nehemiah is going to say, no, I'm, I'm choosing to be a leader who gives. In the 14th verse, it says, moreover, from the, the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor, he's the governor of the whole land. He can pretty much do what he wants. He's got the king behind him until his 32nd year, 12 years. Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor." But the early governors, those who preceded me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. But out of reverence for God, and that's the motivation, out of a fear of the Lord, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for work, and we did not acquire land. So here we see the, real, the, the nature of this, this leadership that comes from courage, that comes from serving. That, that it, has a, it has an understanding of the purpose for power. And that, that purpose is really to facilitate the empowering of others. The, the, the purpose of a leader's power is not to pull things towards themselves, to enrich themselves. He says, look, I didn't take taxes from the people that were allotted to me, even though he had the authority. He says, I didn't take their their food, even though I could have. He says, I didn't let my assistants lord it over, but rather, he says, I joined in the work. There's, There's a real humility here. He didn't just stand back, but he's there helping on the wall every day. His purpose is not to enrich himself. His purpose is to facilitate the empowering of others, the welfare The flourishing of others and we see that that he becomes an example and in the example he there's a real power when he's out there building on the wall no one can say well he's not joining us he's just sitting back in his air-conditioned office or maybe people fanning him with ostrich fans but his example is that look he's with us he's humble he cares for us his example has incredible power to draw people along with us. We, we, we want leaders whose goal is to empower others. We want leaders who lead by example, not from behind. And we see the incredible power of giving. He invested his own resources, he says, because the burden on the people were heavy. They could trust Nehemiah because they knew he was, he was a giver. He wasn't a taker. Those are the sorts of people, I think, that we find ourselves trusting. Now, why was he able to do this? Well, he talked about the the reverence or the fear of the Lord, but I think there's another reason, and it's in the next slide, is that he understood his his real reward. He could have gone for the temporary rewards of riches and lands and and power over other people, but what he really did is he trusted God to be the reward for his work. So he, he cries out to God, Remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. Nehemiah, in a sense, is shifting his understanding of of the reward that he will receive, the goodness that he will receive, the life that he will receive from all this investing, this giving, this protecting, that it comes from God's hand and that this reward will be far greater than anything, that, that even though he had power, that he could enrich himself with in this life. That was his belief, that was his trust, that God would be his reward. What do you think our lives would look like if we deeply believed that? If we were convinced that God was actually the greatest rewarder of, of all of our efforts? if we actually believe that God was the best arbiter of, of what we deserve, would it affect how we, how we enter into conflict? Would it, would it affect how we see ourselves with others? Would it affect how others begin to see us if we, in a sense, have that, that freedom to not demand our own to, to, in a sense, have to protect ourselves by, by taking from others and, and just gravitating it all to us as a wall, a shield. But we could allow God to decide what we deserve. Well, what freedom that would be. How uh, likable <laughs> you would be if people understood that you were not a, a, a grasper, a taker, but a giver because you believed that God was your ultimate reward. Now, of course, there's lots of things that can nuance that. We're not asking people simply to be abused or run over by others. But it's a basic stance of life that that I can live my life with freedom to give because I believe that ultimately God is the one who stores this up, who rewards me. That's the sort of leadership, I believe, that One Hope Church is looking for. That, I believe, is what we want to find. That's the leadership that we want to grow among our people at one hope. let's pray together, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this example of of nehemiah's leadership Lord, we pray we we, we beg you that that's the sort of leadership we would see here over the ministries of one hope uh, with, with a, a pastor uh, who leads with our ministry leaders who who minister to others, with those who serve, with, with the fathers and mothers at home at every level, Lord, that that Nehemiah's example of leadership will become our example. And Father, I pray that you would continue to reveal to us, is this the place you want us? Do you want us to continue to push in uh, to where we believe you've been leading us? Lord, give us that strength. I think I think Nehemiah's leadership strengthened the hands of the people so that even though when they they faced difficulty, when they faced conflict, surprisingly, even with their own fellow believers, they could see that Nehemiah was pushing ahead, that he was calling them back to a heart that believed and honored God and that he was calling them to believe that God was the ultimate rewarder of their efforts and sacrifices. Lord, would you rebuild our hearts in the same way that you rebuilt the hearts of the people in Jerusalem. Lord, guide us. Give us clarity, each family. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and co-workers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.